of Joshua chapter number 8. Go to the chapter we were at last week and go next page over. And you should be there. Joshua chapter number 8. Very observant. Joshua 8. And then let's, um, let's pray together. And you know, um, it seems like we pray a lot around here, uh, which is a good thing. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, um, just for me personally, you always hopefully will find me praying before I, I preach. And that's something the Lord did with me years ago. Uh, I even found in, uh, in school when I was having to give sermons in school that um, if I didn't pray beforehand, like when I got up and to, to, to actually give my little sermon in the class, if I didn't pray, things just didn't work well. And so I, I said, okay, Lord, that's it. You know, every time I get up to preach, I'm going to pray beforehand and just ask your blessing on it. So if you wonder one reason, like, didn't we just pray? I've I, I got to always make sure that I'm right there where the Lord wants me to be, okay? So let's pray together. Lord, thank you once again for um, just being with us. Lord, we know that you, uh, you, you've come by your spirit, and we invite you to continue to do that. Lord, I ask that as we open your word together, give us uh, hearts to hear and minds to understand. I ask that you would uh, just flood us with the sevenfold spirit of God this morning. Uh, let the spirit of the Lord descend upon us, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of of um, counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and ask that you'd come and, and minister to us. Lord, use me. As we open your word together, speak through me. Lord, I pray that you'll um, let your words go forth and let them change hearts and minds and lives. I know that my words don't have much meaning, but when your words come forth, they, they do, as, uh, as Tim was sharing just a little while ago, you created the entire world with your word. So, Lord, we're asking that you do that this morning. Give your word to us and change our lives, change our, our hearts, our minds, change this world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, I, who, who in here is taking geometry? Well, thank you for volunteering. <laughs> um, I, I, need, I need the answer to a question. How many, how many points do you have to have, minimum points you have to have in a straight line? Two. Thank you. And since you volunteered, would you mind doing me a favor? Could you, could, could you, would you mind coming and standing right over here? Just right here, right here in the middle. Right, you, have to have, you have to have two points in a straight line, Right? So minimum, minimum of two points. And we often he might hear, you know, if you keep your eye on the goal, right, just go, go forward, keep your eye on the goal, then you'll, you'll get there. But I, I want to I sh show you something. Okay, I'm keeping my eye on Karis, okay, right? I've got a straight line, right? But we know that life oftentimes throws us small obstacles. Now, am, am I facing Karis still? Right? Am I still facing her? Okay. You know, but we we might have to we might have to shuck and jive a little bit, you know, as life throws us obstacles. And maybe even it's just a little bit. But what has happened to my line? 
I've still got my eye on the goal, right? I've still, my, my eye's on the prize. I'm focused on the, on the goal, but what's happened in my line? It's, it's moved, right? I've got the, the podium back here. You know, I've got, if this is a straight line, if I have to move over, I've still got my eye on the goal, but the line is moved. Now, what, thank you, Karis, what happens if this, if you're building something and this represents structural integrity? This is, this is a point where your foundation is. This is a point where it's load-bearing and you have to move just a slight, slightly off to one side or the other. All of a sudden, what happens to your structural integrity? It falls apart. You're building against code, right? Just because you've moved, you keep your eye on the prize, but because you move, what's behind you is no longer in line. Sometimes we actually need to look behind us to be able to keep going forward. Sometimes we have to look behind us to be able to keep going forward in the right way. When it comes to Joshua, to catch us up a little bit from last week, just a slight review. If you remember last week, we, we found that um, uh, they went up to Ai. The, the, the uh, Israelites went there. Uh, some spies had gone and said, just send, just send a few thousand people. It's, it's a small town, no big deal. What, what's amazing is they did that. Joshua... I don't want to make a big deal out of it, but Joshua didn't consult the Lord on it. So it's, it doesn't say one way or the other, so you can't really make a strong statement. But what was amazing to me is that the Lord didn't go with them, and Joshua didn't know it. Kind of like when, when Samson got his hair cut, remember? And it says that he didn't realize the Spirit of the Lord had left him. So the people go up to Ai, and as you know, they got defeated at Ai. And all of a sudden, Joshua says, okay, what went wrong, God? And God shows him Achan had taken some of the, um, some of the spoil from, from uh, Jericho, had concealed it, and that's what caused the defeat. So they got rid of the sin. They took care of it. They got back in line. And now we're going to pick up the story that God says, okay, now, Joshua. Aha. Uh-huh. See, you got God saying, okay, here's what's going to happen. Don't fear, don't be dismayed. Now I want you to go up to Ai and I want you to get the victory. But you're going to do it a little bit differently. I want you to set an ambush behind the city. That's kind of what the Lord says and the semi leaves it up to Joshua from there. So Joshua uh, finds 30,000 fighting men, sends them off at night, which is really pretty unusual. Okay, this is not, now warfare is done at night a lot. Because it's under cover of darkness and we have night vision goggles and you know, the whole nine yards. Then there's no street lights. There's no headlamps. There's no night vision. It's, not, it's hard to go at night, especially when you're in a territory that you don't really know very well. So he sends them off at night to go and to, to set up behind, to, or actually to the west of Ai. Then the next day, Joshua takes the rest of the Israelite fighting men, and don't know exactly the amount there, if, if rest means 
the amount he's going to take with him or the entire fighting force, and they go out and they get in front of Ai. What you have here is Ai's on a hill, and it says that Israel goes on to this other hill, opposite with a valley in between. Okay, and, and as you, you may know, most cities, most towns were built on hills in those days. If you think about it, it was a good thing to do. It provided a, a landscape you could see. It was a, a high point so that if anybody wanted to fight you, come and battle you, you could see all the way around you. You know, uh, Jericho was that way. Ai was that way. When you think about Jerusalem, it's on top of Mount Zion, Jerusalem, right? It's on top of this hill. So you have, under the cover of darkness, you have an ambush set behind Ai. You have Joshua and the rest of the uh, fighting force on this side. And they spend the night out there. And when morning comes, the people of Ai look out. And they, remember, they, they just whooped up on Israel not too many days before. And they said, okay, let's go. And so they come tearing out of Ai after Joshua and the men of Israel. Now, what, they, what the plan was and what God had showed them is, I want you to act like you're getting defeated. So the Israelites meet them in battle and then go, all right, it's time to turn tail and run. So they, they run away from the, the men of Ai. And it says also that the men of Bethel came over as well. Bethel, I believe, was about a three-day walk. So it seems like uh, that the Bethel knew that Israel was coming around, so they sent all their fighting men to Ai as well. Now, when everybody... Uh, turned tail and ran everybody from inside of Ai. They didn't leave a single fighting man in there. They all went out after Israel. Until. In verse 18, it said, The Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that's in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. So Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. Verse 19. The men in ambush, remember the, the group that I said was west of town, they rose quickly from their place, and when he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it, and they quickly set the city on fire. When the men of Ai turned back and looked, behold, the smoke of the city ascended to the sky, and they had no place to flee, this way or that, for the people who had been fleeing to the wilderness turned against their pursuers. So all, all of Israel who were acting like they were running away, all of a sudden turned around and said, okay, let's fight now. And at behind the people in Ai, the, the city was on fire. So now they look around, and all of a sudden, their town's burning, and the people who they thought they were, they were pursuing, who they thought they were, the people were fleeing, they all, they all of a sudden turn around and say, okay, it's time to fight. When Joshua and all Israel saw that the men in ambush had captured the city and the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and slew the men of Ai. The others came out from the city to encounter them so that they were trapped in the midst of Israel, some on one side and some on the other, and they slew them until no one was left of those who survived or escaped. But they took alive the king of Ai and brought him to Joshua. Now when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the field in the wilderness, where they pursued them. And all of them were fallen by the edge of the sword until they were destroyed. 
Then all Israel returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. All who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not withdraw his hand with which he had stretched out the javelin until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Israel took only the cattle and the spoil of the city as plunder for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation until this day. He hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua gave command and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the city gate and raised over it a great heap of stones that stands to this day. Let me say one quick thing about that and then we'll continue. So it looks like what happened is they get the king of Ai and this was, this was something that they did in the ancient Near East. They, they kill the guy, and then they put him on a tree or on a stick. And there's a couple of reasons for this. This is actually a, a military tactic, if you will, to put fear in the hearts of their enemies. I'm going to kill you, and then I'm going to display you for all to see. There's also something more, because as you read in um, the, the law, what God is, says to do at some times, is he'll say, I want you to hang a person on a tree. If they've done something so criminal, put them to death and then hang them on the tree. You go, what, what, what are, why in the world would you do that? Why would you, you, isn't it enough just to kill the person? Why do you need to kill them and then hang them? There's this whole idea in the law that a person who hangs upon a tree is cursed. One who hangs upon a tree is cursed. So it's not just, it's, it's like what they do is this. Okay, it's not enough to kill you. I'm going to put you up on a tree so that God himself will curse you. It's not just enough to put you to death. I want to put you on a tree so that God himself will curse you. And then if that weren't enough, they put him um, in the city gates and they heap a whole bunch of um, rocks on top of him, which is, is kind of like saying this. Okay, not only are you cursed of God, but I'm going to put so many rocks on top of you that I'm going to deny you the resurrection. So this is like bad news, okay? I'm going to kill you. You're going to be cursed of God, and then you're going to be denied any sort of resurrection too. That's what they did to the king of Ai. It says, Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel. As it's written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no man had wielded an iron tool. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. He wrote there on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written in the presence of the sons of Israel. And all Israel, with their elders and officers and their judges, were standing on both sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as the native. Half of them stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given command at first to bless the people of Israel. The command was, 
to put Summit Gerizim, Summit Ebal, and the curses of the covenant would be read over one group and the blessings of the covenant would be read over the other. Then afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. So Ai, they defeated Israel at first, but then God joins the battle. And Ai gets totally defeated. Israel is given the victory. But what we see is that they looked behind to go ahead. It's really interesting. Um, Joshua, you know, there, he's in the midst of the battle. And God says, stretch out your javelin. And then it says later that he did not withdraw his hand until all of it was accomplished, until all of Ai was destroyed. Does that, does that remind anyone of, of anything? Anybody? Aha. For, for those of you who did not hear that, remember in uh, Exodus Exodus 17, uh, ver- starting in verse 8, um, the Amalek, the, the Amalekites, came out to fight against Israel. So Moses told Joshua, okay, Moses is still, Moses is the one who's in charge now, right? So we, we've gone backwards. This is when Moses is still in charge, before Moses is, has died here, of course. So, tell, so tells, he tells Joshua, choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself at the top of the hill with a staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Wouldn't yours be? And they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it and Aaron and Hur supported his hands one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua. Make sure Joshua knows. Now I'll utterly blot out the Amalekites. Make sure Joshua knows. So what happens? The Lord says, stretch out your javelin. And I, I, I mean, it doesn't say this in Scripture, but I can see Joshua going, I've been there before. So he stretches out his hand and he keeps it there. And it doesn't say that anybody helps him on this one, but it says he, he keeps it there until it's all accomplished. He looks back to find out how to win the victory and make sure his foundation is correct. This is something that the one who was in charge before, his, his, if you will, father in the faith, the, the leader that he served with, this is what he did. This is what, so, Moses, uh, so Joshua has Moses in mind. He stretches forth the javelin, you know, God tells him to, and he holds it there. But there is a difference. 
Moses has the staff of God. Joshua has this javelin. He looks back to see how to fight the victory here. But it's like God says, well, what's in your hand? I use that. He looks back and he sees what Moses did. And then says, okay, let me do that. You know, in our, our own lives, we need to do the exact same thing. We can look back and say, okay, what did Jesus do? Because he's the head that we need to follow. And let's do those things. What did Jesus do? So what you're doing is you're turning around and you're making sure you're in line with your foundation, right? Because if Jesus did it, it's all right. What did Jesus do? And then I'm going to do those things that Jesus did. And he also says, you know, it, it, it also is important to realize He's going to let you, he's going to have you use what's in your hand at the time. What's in your hand? Use that. So in other words, you know, it, it, it might be in your heart to feed the, the hungry, to feed the poor. And you don't have to wait around and say, if only I had a box of sardines and a couple of crackers, then I could feed the poor. Some of you all will get that in a little bit. If I, only had, if I only had five fish and two loaves, then I could feed the poor like Jesus. Because Jesus fed, Jesus fed those who were hungry. Let me, let me find what he's got. No, no, no. What's in your hand? When you find out what's in your hand and you find out what God wants you to do with it, then you do the same works that Jesus did. You look behind you and see what did Jesus do. See what you have in your hand and what God is saying, use this and then you go for it. Because we know that the word says that all everything that Jesus did that we will do and more because he goes to the Father, right? So he's expecting us to do the works that he did. Right? Please, somebody say yes. <laughs> Amen? He's expecting us to do these things. Now, it may not look exactly the same because, you know what, he might, he might have us use different methods. I, um, I was with a, a, a friend the other day, and I'm not going to give names or specific locations, but I was with a friend the other day, and he was, um, uh, he was talking about a, a guy that he was kind of forced to work with, um, you know, just on, on an irregular basis. And uh, he said this guy was just really, really grumpy. He said he was just a, a miserable person. But he said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for this guy. I'm going to love him and I'm going to pray for him. And then there, not too long, you know, after a, an opportunity opened up, that this guy said, hey, can you help me with this? And he said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll help you. My, my friend did. I'll help you with that. And I've got, I've got the things that I need right here. So he, he, um, he helped him there. And then another opportunity opened up. 
And all of a sudden, you know, what happens is you, you have somebody who's, who's grumpy, who's fussy, who's mad at the world, and you start praying, you start loving. God's giving you the tools, and then an opportunity opens up, and now those walls start to, to come down. Boom, 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 boom. God's giving you the tools and the love that he's given us, and you give it out, and all of a sudden walls come down, and you start to be able to minister to people. I remember I, I gave this example a number of months ago. I know that um, uh, uh, the church that Ruth grew up in, in, in Waco, they, uh, especially at the start of, of COVID, they, they were feeding, feeding um, uh, the poor people around the area, and they'd have people come through, and they'd, they'd put uh, sacks of groceries in their car for them, just sacks of groceries. And they, um, they had a certain number of sacks, and uh, they looked out, and there was more cars, and they had sacks. And they said, okay, Lord, it's not loaves and fishes, but you can do the same thing. So they pray over it. Lord, we've got more people than we have food to give out. And they're, they're, they're marking them up, right? We have X number of food to give out. Boom, 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 boom. And they're marking, okay, tally mark. We've got one here in this car, one here in this car, one here in this car. And when they get through all of the food, that they've given out all the food to all the cars, it was more food than what they'd had to start with. More sacks. Is that something that Jesus did? Yeah. Is he wanting us to do the same thing? You bet. It may look different. It may look different when we do it. But we can turn around and we can say, is this something that Jesus did? Yes, he did. He went out and he laid hands on the sick and they recovered. He gave hope to the hopeless. There's a lot of people who are hopeless right now. We, need, we, have, we have hope. A lot of people don't. There's a lot of people who are destitute right now as far as they're destitute in their hearts and their minds, right? We have hope. There's a lot of people who are hurting. There are a lot of people who are lonely. There are a lot of people who are, have been locked up in, the, in their homes for far too long, and they need love. They need care. They need hope. They need somebody to say, you know what? It's going to be okay. If you don't have anybody else, you have us. We have that to give. That's what Jesus gave. He gave love. He, he, had, he, he saw a funeral with uh, a, a widow's only son go by, and he's, he said, you know what? That, that's just not right. He stops the funeral procession and says, okay, get up out of the casket. Then go home. Right? Because the widow would be destitute without her son. The son was there to provide for her. Well, it look, maybe it might look different for us. But we can look and say, Jesus loved and he cared for and he gave what he had. He gave hope. He gave signs and wonders. He gave um, love. What do you have in your hand? Grab hold of it and say, okay, God, how do I use this? Maybe it's a hammer. Maybe it's a computer. Maybe it's money. 
Maybe, what do you have in your hand? And how can I use it? Joshua looked back as he went forward. But then he, he didn't stop there. In verse 30, it says he, he um, built the altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as, the, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as is written in the book of the law of Moses. So it wasn't just that he did what he saw Moses doing, which that's good. You need to do that. What, it, what, what Jesus has done, we need to do. But it says that he followed Moses' commands. In, um, oh, where's my notes? In Deuteronomy 11. You don't have to flip there unless you want to. I'll, I'll read it for you really quickly. Deuteronomy 11, verse 29. It says, It shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it. Okay, did, did they went into the land, right? So they go into the land where God has said you're entering. Uh, that you shall place the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not across the Jordan, uh, west of the way toward the sunset in the land of the Canaanites who live in um, the Areba, opposite Gilgal, beside the Oaks of Mora? Right? So Joshua goes and does exactly what Moses had said to do. He goes, he writes out the entire law. So next week, this is what I want us to do. I'm going to separate you guys this way. I want everybody to come with a handwritten copy of Genesis through Deuteronomy. I'm totally kidding. Totally kidding. Okay? But that's what Joshua does. Can you imagine writing it on a rock? Writing, uh, that, that's a lot. Let me tell you, Genesis is long. Exodus is pretty long. All right, Leviticus is just, even if it was short, it'd be long. <laughs> Yet he writes, the, he writes the law out, and he gives it to the people, the, the blessings and the curses of the covenant. He does exactly what Moses, the leader that he followed, said to do. You know, we need to do the same thing. We need, Jesus says to us, said, you will, know that, you will know that you're my disciples if you, what? Keep my commands. Do what I tell you to do. Right? How, we, how will the world know that we're his disciples? If we're doing what he said. And By the way, how is it that we're going to know what he said. Uh-oh. If you have, if you have um, really sensitive toes, you can put them under your chair. We've got to be in the word. Okay? I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to say this in a legal sense. I don't want you to put a law on yourself. Say, well, if, I, if, I'm not, if I'm not reading the Bible every day, then I'm a bad Christian. No, no, no. Okay? It's not that at all. But at the same time, we need to be in the Word so that we can feed our soul, feed our spirit. We need to be hearing what the Word says, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, both, so that we can continually uh, wash ourselves over with the water of the Word. 
we can find out what did Jesus command us to do? What did Paul command us to do? What, what about Peter? What about John? So that we can continually hear and we can continually under, understand. We can t- continually look back at what the Word says and say, okay, am I in line with what the Word is saying to do? And if I am, then I'm in good shape. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all the nations. Right? Teaching them, to do, baptizing them, teaching them. That's one of the things that he's commanded us to do. There's a lot of other things also. Love your neighbor. Take care of these people. If you're persecuted, bless. Right? We need to always be going back to the word and saying, what did Jesus command us to do? But there's a little bit more here too. See, I find it really interesting that Jesus, or, or I'm sorry, Moses ha- commanded them to go to these specific hills. Want you on Mount Gerizim and you on Mount Ebal, and I'm going to give the blessings and the curses of the covenant. As I mentioned earlier, these mountains mountains represent kingdoms and governments. Mountains represent rulership. Mountains are governmental. And so what, what it's basically saying here is the government of Israel will rest upon these words, this covenant that God has given, upon the law. The, the, the government of Israel should rest upon this law. The blessings of the covenant the curses of the covenant, the government of Israel will be upon this law. That's why everybody should write it out before next Sunday. And I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing David back there going, yeah, I, I, I can just copy and paste. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's other hills in Scripture. There's other mountains. And there was a hill called Calvary where just as I talked about the king of Ai that was put upon a tree and was cursed of God and then put under rocks. There was a man. There was a man who lived a perfect life who did not deserve any punishment. He was forced to go up that hill and was forcibly nailed to a tree. And all of the curses 
of the covenant. If you want to look, go, go back to Deuteronomy 27 and 28. You'll see all the curses of the covenant. You can read them. All of the curses of the covenant fell upon that man who hung upon that tree. For everything that we've ever done wrong and all the curses that, that should fall upon us, they fell upon Jesus. Upon that hill. So that even as I, I described that the, the kingdom of Israel should be based upon the word that Moses had, the law, that all of the blessings and all of the curses should be, should be the foundation of the kingdom of Israel. So also upon a hill did the foundation of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior become reality. Where he took upon all the curses of the covenant for us and left us the blessings. And his kingdom, his kingdom is based upon that covenant. Where he took all the bad stuff that we deserved and left us all the blessings that he deserved. It's not to say that God's not a good father who will discipline us mentioned that last week, he will. But he disciplines us on the basis of his love, on the basis of his son. And we need to realize that his kingdom is very, very, very real. But Jesus is also the one that said, my kingdom is what? Thank you. My kingdom is not of this world. We enter into his kingdom and when we accept him as, as, as our Lord and Savior. And as, as his servants, as his um, citizens of his kingdom, he's given us authority upon the earth. Right? Based upon the word. Right? Again, the word is what the... the, the Old Covenant was based upon the word of Moses, the law of Moses. Yes, did I just say that? I hope, hopefully I just said that, right? His kingdom is also based upon the word on that hill where the word died. Because in the beginning was the word, right? And the word was with God and the word was God. His kingdom is also based upon the word. And as we go forward, we need to make sure and look back and say, okay, am I in line with the word? And we, we become in line with the word and in, in how we listen and how we act and how we respond as citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, Right now, this is really important. And uh, Steve alluded to this a little while ago. You know, there's, 
with the elections that have just taken place. And honestly, it's still up in the air a little bit. And we've got some people who are celebrating and saying, um, there's, there's another president, yay. And there's some people who are saying, but, but it's not over yet. And we have many people, many Christians who are saying, yes, but I've got a word from God that, 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 um, that President Trump will have a second term. And, and we've got all this, this, it's like there's this huge divide. And what I'm concerned with more than anything is how we respond as citizens of his kingdom rather than citizens of this kingdom. More importantly, should should we be a good citizen of the United States? Absolutely. Please hear me. I'm not saying you shirk your responsibility as a citizen. Be a good citizen. Jesus teaches that. Going back to, is it the word? Yes. Jesus teaches be a good citizen. Paul teaches that. But more than being a good citizen here, we have a higher citizenship that we need to also be in line with, even more so than the citizenship here. Okay? Are we we good so far? The biggest... I'm trying to be careful how I say this. In the last four years, the biggest problem that we have had and that has been part of, of this presidency really isn't about the president. But what I've seen, what, I, what I've observed is so much of the church and so much of the quote-unquote church have a misplaced faith. Well, what, we have, what we have done, and I, I say we, it's, I, I say it's part of the, uh, the greater body. I want us to make sure that we're not, that we've got our faith and our hope in the right direction. Again, we've got to be good citizens. We need to look and see, okay, what do people stand for? We should vote, you know, in, in the best way that, you know, A, our conviction is showing us and that, that lines up with the word of God, okay? All that good stuff. But what we need to make sure and do is have our faith on our king, Right? Not on a king here. Not on a president. Not on a governor. Not on, okay, the, our faith goes into the heavenly king. And what can, what can happen very, very easily is we can stand in the place like Israel stood when they were with Samuel. And remember, Samuel, God was their king under the judges. It was a theocracy. We're not in a theocracy. God was their king. And then they come up to Samuel and they say to Samuel, Samuel, we need a king. And he says, wait, what? God's your king. What are you talking No, we, we want somebody who will go for us and fight our battles. We want somebody who we can see. We want somebody. And he said, but don't you know what's going to happen? He's gonna, the, the king will take your kids and he will tax you and he will do all this. and He'll make you servants. And they say, I don't care. We want a king. Right? They wanted to put their faith in a man instead of in God. 
And it, it's very important for us that I, I don't care who it is. I don't care if you're talking about Donald Trump. I don't care if you're talking about Joe Biden. I don't care if you're talking about Hillary Clinton or Ronald Reagan. Okay, take your pick. The most important thing is, is that we put our faith in Jesus and not in a king. Again, going back to the word, going back to, um, the, to the kingdom that he established. Because if, as, as his kingdom kids, as priests and kings unto our God, if we want to see something change in our country, we have the authority to change it. Not only at the ballot box, but through our prayers. If we want to Supreme Court justices changed, yes, vote. But also, you pray, and it doesn't matter who's in office, God can change their heart. If you want laws changed, vote, yes. But you know what? More than that, pray, because God can change them. I think about, historically, you know, the, the church in the very early days of the church was underground. It was illegal to be a Christian because, and, and primarily in the first, second century um, AD, it was illegal to be a Christian because it was a separate kingdom. What they saw was, is that they, the Christians said there was another king besides Caesar. Sounds familiar. I, isn't that what I'm saying? We've got a king that we got, right? Um, but there was another king besides Caesar, and so they made Christianity illegal. Until, until Constantine had this dream. It said, conquer under this symbol. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of mess that came with it. Okay? I will, I will agree. There's a lot of mess that happened. But when Constantine turned and he saw the light and he became a disciple of Eusebius who is the father of church history and he opened up the floodgates and said okay Christianity is going to be the thing it opened up the whole of, of the gospel to go all over now I, I agree there's a lot of mess that happened too okay all right but that is a, a place where we can see where God turned the heart of a ruler who was a secular ruler who, when he started out, it was illegal to be Christian. And all of a sudden, a heart was changed and he declared the whole world to be Christian. So I wanted to give us this morning hope. I want us to make sure as a body that we're putting our faith in the Lord Jesus and believing it, no, no matter what, who, whoever gets in office doesn't really, I mean, it, it matters, but really if our faith and our hope is placed in the right, in, in correctly, then whoever's in office, we can believe that God will change that heart. We can believe that God would put the Supreme Court justices on that need to be there. We can believe that the legislature, uh, both houses of Congress will make godly and and right and just laws we can believe 
that it, it doesn't matter who is there, that their heart, if they could be the, the, the greatest atheist and opposite of Christianity that you can even ima- ever imagine. We can believe that God will change that heart and give us a, a ruler who will open up the floodgates for the kingdom of God. So more than anything this morning, I want to give us hope and I want us to make sure our faith is in the right place. No matter who ends up there, we're going to believe and we're going to be citizens of King Jesus first. We're going to believe that as we pray, things will change here on earth. As we pray and as we, as we take our stand as with the kingdom of God, that it doesn't matter if it, if it ends up being President Trump or it ends up being President Biden. All right? We're going we're gonna to stand solid. And we're going to continue to pray. We're going to continue to declare. We're going to continue to believe that whoever is there, that God is going to absolutely have his way. And he can do that. It says in the Proverbs that God, God takes the heart of the king and, and makes it uh, however he wants to, like a river. Right? So, in order to go forward, oftentimes you've got to look back. Make sure you're in line with what the Word is saying to do. See what God's put in your hand to do with it. What's God given you? God's given each one of you something. He's put something in your hands, each one of you. What is that thing? If you don't know, ask. He's put something in your hands. What are you supposed to do with it? Also, look back to see what is it we're supposed to be, how is it we're supposed to be following his word, his commands. If you don't know what his words are, you better get in it. Oops. And then, as we follow his words, we're going to see the victory. We'll see the victory because God will fight for us. And it doesn't matter who we're up against. When God fights for us, the victory's ours. And it will be unbelievable victory. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, we need you. Lord, I pray that you will help us to fulfill everything that you have for us. Lord, individually and as a church, I ask that you would let us fulfill everything that you have for us. Lord, I pray that each person listening to my voice, that they will not leave one thing undone that you have for them to do.
Lord, I pray for tremendous victories for us. Individual victories, victories as a church, victories in this area, victories across, across this area. I pray for tremendous victories. Lord, we will listen and we will obey. Lord, we will, we will act. We will see what you've done in the past and we will do those things. Lord, we're just asking that you fight with us. We're asking that you take up the battle with us. Lord, we're tired of going out by ourselves and getting whooped. Join the fight, Lord, and let us see your victory come. Join the fight and let us see tremendous victory a, a tremendous change around our area. Join the fight, Lord, and let us see this town totally transformed. Let us start here and, and, and go all the way around to, to, um, to the north, the south, the east, and the west. Lord, let it be that, that things start here and that, that your, your kingdom would just erupt in every direction. Use us. As we started out the service this morning, Lord, we said, you are Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord indeed. And that is our declaration. Jesus, be king over this area. Jesus, be king over this church. Jesus, be king over... over uh, Eastern Connecticut, over Northeastern Connecticut, over Southeastern Connecticut. Jesus, come and be king here. We declare, as you said in your, in your, in the Lord's prayer, that your kingdom would come, and that your will would be done. Even if it's, as it's done in heaven, let it be done right here. We stand with Isaiah, Lord, and say, here I am. Use me. Send me. And Lord, I ask that you would place your hand, your blessing upon each person here. Lord, let everything that any of us put our hands to Prosper. Let it prosper tremendously. We ask that you'd bring people, bring those who are in need, bring the hurting, bring the destitute, bring the addicts, bring those who are empty, Lord, bring, bring everybody. If they need the kingdom, bring them to us. If they need love, bring them here. They need hope, bring them here. They need joy, bring them here. Lord, I speak your blessing of protection and peace and hope 
and joy over each person. In the name of Jesus. Amen.